This is Space Time, Series 26, Episode 114, for broadcast on the 22nd of September, 2023. Coming up on Space Time, satellites crash in orbit, discovery of a strange white dwarf supernova, and SpaceX's Starship remains grounded, but hopefully not for much longer. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. There's been another collision between two satellites in orbit, creating yet another cloud of space junk, bringing us ever closer to a Kessler syndrome. The latest incident involved a three-decade-old Soviet communications satellite thought to be either the Cosmos 2143 or Cosmos 2145, crashing into another yet-to-be-identified object at an altitude of about 1,400 kilometres. The resulting collision has broken the Soviet satellite into nine major pieces and hundreds if not thousands of smaller debris items. Both the Cosmos 2143 and 2145 were among a group of eight Strela-1M telecommunications satellites launched on the same rocket back in 1991. This latest incident once again highlights the growing threat posed by disused satellites and spent rocket stages left uncontrolled in Earth orbit. Right now, there are an estimated more than 2 million bits of space junk orbiting the Earth, ranging in size from spent rocket stages and disused satellites, down to nuts, bolts, paint flecks, and tiny bits of shrapnel from exploded spacecraft. And remember, all of this material is orbiting around the planet at over 28,000 kilometers per hour. And as more and more space junk continues to build up in orbit, the risk of a collision becomes ever greater. Any one of these objects could smash into a spacecraft, causing damage or even destruction. In fact, objects as small as chips of paint have crashed into space shuttle windshields, leaving significant craters. Others, such as this latest impact event, have completely destroyed spacecraft, leaving behind even more debris and shrapnel. Now, under the worst-case scenario, and that's looking more and more likely, all of this will result in a cascade effect known as the Kessler Syndrome. Debris from one impact hits spacecraft causing more debris clouds, which then hit other spacecraft triggering even more debris clouds and so on. It's a scene straight out of the movie Gravity, and it's not all that far-fetched. In fact, the International Space Station is regularly forced to change orbit in order to avoid space junk, with crew needing to seek refuge in dock capsules in an event of a collision and the need to undertake an emergency escape back to Earth. Back in May 2021, a piece of space junk smashed a hole in the space station's robotic cannon arm too. And spacewalking astronauts have recorded other impact damage to the orbiting outpost, luckily nothing penetrating the inner hull yet. And like the space shuttle incident, other returning spacecraft have also shown evidence of impact damage caused while in orbit. The first major satellite collision occurred back on February the 10th, 2009. That's when the 560-kilogram Iridium-33 telecommunications satellite collided with a deactivated 950-kilogram Russian Cosmos-2251 satellite. 
That collision occurred 800 kilometres over northern Siberia at a relative speed of 11.7 kilometres per second or 42,120 kilometres per hour, destroying both spacecraft and leaving behind a massive debris cloud. Then in January 2020, the disused Russian Cosmos 2491 spy satellite was suddenly hit by a piece of space junk, shattering into at least 10 major fragments. But to date, the worst incident, including space with lots of deadly shrapnel, wasn't an accident, but deliberate. It happened on January the 11th, 2007, when Beijing deliberately blew up the disused Fengyong FY1C weather satellite in an anti-satellite missile test. The 750-kilogram satellite was hit at a speed of over 8 kilometres per second at an altitude of more than 865 kilometres by a DF-21 SC-19 ASAT ballistic missile launched from China's Zhaichang Satellite Launch Centre. Beijing's highly irresponsible actions resulted in the creation of the worst space junk debris field in human history, with well over 2,000 pieces of trackable-sized debris catalogued in the immediate aftermath and spacecraft were still being damaged or destroyed by that debris years later. In fact, on January the 22nd, 2013, a Russian laser-ranging satellite was struck by debris from the 2007 Chinese missile test, damaging the spacecraft and changing its orbit and spin rate. The danger caused by Beijing's actions in 2007 will remain a serious threat to the safe navigation of space for decades to come. This is Space Time. Still to come, a strange type of white dwarf supernova and SpaceX's starship to remain grounded for now. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, Incogni. And if you haven't checked them out yet, you really should. After all, we all wonder about how much of our personal stuff is online and who has access to it, not just you personally, but also your kids. Well, the simple fact is, no matter how careful you are, there's a vast amount of your personal details that are online and being sold right now. A lot of your details are being published without you even realizing it. And it's not until you start getting those spam emails that you realize what's going on. And of course, there's identity theft and all sorts of other things as well. But there is a silver lining. Because you have every right to protect your privacy and demand these data brokers delete your information. Now, of course, the problem is doing this manually will take years. And as soon as you erase one thing, something else has popped up somewhere else. So you end up having to repeat the same process every few months as they keep collecting more and more information and records about your data. And this is where Incogni comes in. They handle all the hard work, ensuring that your data is removed from these databases and that it stays removed. That in turn reduces the amount of spam you get and prevents spam attacks. And the best part about Incogni is that their subscription deal is really affordable. And because you're a space-time listener, there's an exclusive offer giving you a whopping 60% off your subscription. So don't wait any longer. Take control of your data now and let Incogni do the work for you. Visit incogni.com slash Stuart Gary now and make the most of this exclusive offer. That's incogni.com forward slash Stuart Gary and Incogni spelled I-N-C-O-G-N-I. 
And of course, we'll include the link details in our show notes and on our website. This is Space Time with Stuart Gary. It turns out a supernova explosion that sky watchers in the Far East observed some 850 years ago has produced the most unusual remnant astronomers have ever seen. The findings, reported in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, argues that the supernova was caused not by the explosive death of a large star, but rather the result of two white dwarfs, the stellar remnants of dead sun-like stars, merging together and creating an extremely energetic zombie star, which has somehow survived the event. The object was originally identified in archival data from NASA's Earth-Orbiting Wide-Field Infrared Survey Explorer Observatory, WISE, and appeared to be a planetary nebula, the blown-off outer gaseous envelope of a low-mass sun-like star at the end of its life. It was consequently classified as PA30. These stars, our sun included, spend their lives slowly fusing hydrogen in their core into helium. Now, eventually, after running out of core hydrogen, they begin to collapse under their own gravity until core temperatures and pressures increase enough for helium fusion to ignite. And the sudden helium fusion ignition in the core causes a shell of hydrogen around the core to suddenly begin burning, triggered increased convection, which pushes the star's outer gaseous envelope further away from the core. Now, this combined with the stellar contraction means the star's surface is now much further away from the core, and so, with less available heat, the outer surface of the star begins to cool, making the star appear more reddish and turning the star into what we call a red giant. Now, eventually, all the core helium will be converted into oxygen and carbon. However, these sun-like stars are not massive enough to fuse carbon and oxygen into heavier elements as larger stars do, and so they simply die. Their outer gaseous envelopes puff away as planetary nebula that exposes their white-hot stellar core, a white dwarf, which is left to slowly cool over eons. This will be the fate of our sun in around 7 billion years from now. And that's what astronomers originally thought PA30 was. However, a closer subsequent spectroscopic inspection of the planetary nebula revealed it wasn't a planetary nebula after all, but a supernova remnant. In fact, the records eventually showed that this object happens to be in the exact location of a zero-magnitude supernova event catalogued as SN 1181, which appeared in northern Cassiopeia on August the 6th, 1181. It was recorded at the time as a guest star by Japanese and Chinese astronomers of the day and was seen to slowly fade from view over the following six months. Supernovae mark the explosive death of a star. Core collapse supernovae occur when stars far more massive than the sun run out of nuclear fuel in their core and then suddenly collapse inwards under their own immense gravity. That sudden contraction triggers an immense explosion, leaving behind either a super-dense object called a neutron star or an even more exotic, even denser object called a stellar-mass black hole. However, when astronomers looked at PA30 more closely, they found no neutron star and no evidence of a black hole either. The other type of supernovae are known as thermonuclear supernovae. These usually involve a white dwarf star in a close binary system with another star the white dwarf gradually draws material off its companion star. This material builds up on its surface, eventually passing a threshold known as the Chandrasekhar limit, 
at which point it triggers a thermonuclear supernova explosion which totally destroys the white dwarf. All that's left is a supernova remnant. The trouble is, although PA-30 didn't contain a neutron star or evidence of a black hole, it did contain a central star, a white dwarf. And that raises the question, how could the white dwarf have survived the thermonuclear supernova event? Further examination of the white dwarf showed it was really strange. Its surface temperature was some 200,000 Kelvin. It shines at some 130 times the luminosity of the sun, and it's fading quite rapidly by about 1.7 magnitudes over the past century. But most remarkably of all, it produces an unprecedented speedy stellar wind. So, what peculiar type of supernova might explain this object? Further observations of PA-30 have now revealed much more detail than either infrared or visible light broadband images could, containing more information to help complete the picture. Despite the supernova's distance of some 8,000 light-years, the image shows intriguing radial filaments, presumably being produced as the fierce stellar wind erodes away small clumps of lower-velocity gas ejected by the explosion. Scientists now think this is a rare Type 1a X supernova, a low-luminosity event. While normal Type 1a supernovae result in the catastrophic destruction of the white dwarf star, less luminous Type 1a X supernovae result in the exploding star somehow surviving. And this would explain why the remnant nebula doesn't produce the amount of radio waves or X-rays expected for a young supernova remnant. Theorists are coming up with various scenarios to try and explain 1AX supernovae. Some of these predict the existence of a matter-detonating companion star. However, in the case of this star, detailed observations by NASA's TESS Observatory indicate it is a single. In fact, right now, there's only one model which matches the observations of PA-30 and its weird central star. That would involve a collision between two white dwarfs, one of which consists of nearly all carbon and oxygen, and the other, oxygen and neon. Jonathan Alley, the editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, says future observations of the intriguing remnant and the zombie star at its core should shed more light on this very rare and peculiar type of supernova explosion. One of the interesting aspects of this story is that this all began with a discovery by an amateur astronomer, a person by the name of Dana Patrick, who had already made a name for themselves by discovering almost 30 planetary nebulae by looking at pictures of space. Now, a planetary nebula is uh, usually a circular-looking gas cloud that's puffed off by um, certain kinds of stars as they get towards the end of their lives. So despite the name, it's got nothing to do with planets. It's just when you look at one of these things through a telescope, a small telescope, it looks like a distant planet because it's not point-like like a star. It's got a sort of a circular shape and it's a bit fuzzy. So um, that's how they originally got their name. So he discovered 30, 29 planetary nebulae and he, and he thought he'd found his 30th because he spotted another one of these round, fuzzy gas cloud things. But it turned out to be something different. It's actually a supernova remnant, a roundish supernova remnant, the gas cloud left over after a stellar explosion. And this particular one, that's about 7,500 light years from Earth, seems to be in the right position in the sky to match with a supernova that was spotted by Chinese and Japanese astronomers way back in the year 1181, about 850 years ago. So that, that's quite amazing. Um, and as you said at the beginning, you know, white dwarves and supernova, they don't normally go together. This is an unusual supernova remnant. It's not producing lots of radio waves or x-rays as you might expect 
and it has this, the outflowing gas has tremendous speed, about 16,000 kilometres per second, which is about 5% of the speed of light. So how did this thing originally occur? Well, astronomers think that maybe what happened was two white dwarf stars collided and set off a big explosion, this big gas cloud went out and everything, and, and that's what's resulted in this uh, supernova that they saw 850 years ago and this remnant gas cloud that's still around now that this uh, amateur astronomer has discovered. So look, there's a lot of things still to be found out there and sometimes people stumble across things and there's no explanation initially for them because they think, scratch their head, how on earth could this have happened? And then someone comes up with an explanation like maybe two white dwarf stars collided and that's why we ended up with this initial explosion that's left behind one white dwarf at least. You see, this is the interesting thing too, that when these strange kind of uh, stellar remnants were proposed a long time ago as, as hypothetical things and then they started discovering them, people probably just assumed, well, they'd be on their own. Yeah. You know, that you get solo neutron stars or solo white dwarfs. And now we're discovering that you can have two of them smashing into each other. So it, I was just actually thinking that, you know, we happen to, we live in a really quiet part of the galaxy. <laughs> we live in a very quiet neighborhood, uh, at least in our, in our immediate, immediate solar and I, system. And our neighbors are a long way away too. They're a long way away and we don't have a, like, we don't have a binary star system that we're orbiting around. It's just one single star. Um, in fact, the majority of star systems out there are double star systems or more. So, um, uh, our, our source is not not so much an oddity, but it's um, in a minority, I suppose you would say. So, you know, that raises the question then is, uh, because we're in such a benign environment, is that why we've been able to live on a planet that survived for so long and long enough for so-called intelligent life to develop? That's Jonathan Alley, the editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. And this is Space Time. Still to come. SpaceX's Starship to remain grounded, but could it flight beyond the carts next month? And later in the science report, a new study shows the average number of sexual partners people have tends to change as they age. All that and more still to come on Space Time. SpaceX says it could regain flight approval for Starship next month after completing most of the corrective actions ordered by the Federal Aviation Administration in the wake of the spectacular explosion which ended its first orbital test flight attempt on April 20th. The 63 steps needed for another test flight included both redesigns of Starship's booster hardware to prevent leaks and fires and a redesign of the launch pad to increase its robustness and prevent bits of concrete flying out like deadly projectiles into the landscape. Starship's first orbital test flight from SpaceX's Starbase in Boca Chica, Texas, experienced multiple first-stage engine failures as the world's largest rocket slowly climbed into the skies above the Gulf of Mexico. All those problems were then compounded when the upper stage of Starship failed to separate from the super-heavy booster stage, and that triggered mission managers to issue their self-destruct order four minutes into the flight, destroying the spacecraft. The FAA then grounded Starship and launched a full investigation into the flight, saying SpaceX needed to implement all 63 corrective actions then apply for a license modification from the FAA that will address all safety, environmental and other applicable regulatory requirements prior to the next Starship launch. SpaceX says it's now addressed 57 of the actions that were required before the launch of Orbital Test Flight 2 says the remaining issues will be fixed over the next week or so. 
and a new Starship's already standing on the launch pad. Starship consists of two stages. There's a 70 metre long, 9 metre wide, 230 tonne super heavy booster stage, which is equipped with 33 liquid methane and oxygen fueled Raptor rocket engines. Attached to the top of this is a 50 metre tall, 9 metre diameter upper stage powered by six Raptor rocket engines. SpaceX boss Elon Musk sees Starship as an interplanetary colonial transport system designed to establish and supply human settlements on the Moon, Mars and across the solar system. The reusable spacecraft is equipped with a belly heat shield, its own retractable vertical landing gear and can be refueled in space using unmanned tanker versions of Starship. While one version of Starship will carry up to 100 people, another version will be equipped with a massive payload bay for the deployment of satellites. Further into the future, Starship may also host point-to-point flights around the Earth, allowing you to reach any destination on the planet in under 90 minutes. SpaceX's first mission for NASA using Starship will provide the Human Landing System, or HLS, a reusable shuttle for NASA to transport people or up to 100 tons of cargo between an orbiting Orion capsule or the Lunar Gateway space station down to the lunar surface and back up again. SpaceX's ultimate plans will eventually see Starship replacing the company's existing Dragon spacecraft and its Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy launch systems. Elon Musk says if everything goes to plan, he could try a second orbital test flight next month. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study has found that young people using e-cigarettes are more than twice as likely to report chronic stress as those who don't. The findings reported to the European Respiratory Society's International Congress are based on a yet-to-be peer-reviewed study which surveyed 905 people aged between 15 and 30, finding that although young people who vaped were more likely to be physically active, they are also more likely to report experiencing extreme chronic stress. However, the study couldn't determine whether the stress caused an increase in vaping or whether vaping increased the level of stress. Scientists have found that almost half of all cell phones tested during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic were contaminated with the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The findings reported in the Journal of Infection and Public Health are based on a systematic review undertaken by Bond University looking at 15 studies from 10 countries that examined mobile phones for SARS-CoV-2 contamination in hospital settings between 2019 and 2023. Of 511 phones tested, 231 or 45% tested positive for the presence of SARS-CoV-2, a virus which causes COVID-19. In one 2022 study in France, all 19 out of 19 phones tested were found to be contaminated with the virus. A new study suggests that as people age, the average number of sexual partners they have changes, and that's led to some surprising results. The findings by the University of East Anglia, King's College London and the University College London surveyed some 5,164 people in Britain aged 18 and over during last year's monkeypox outbreak. 
Scientists wanted to understand how sexual behaviours changed with age so that mathematical models of sexually transmitted infections could be made more accurate. Participants were asked for their gender, their sexual identity and how many sexual partners they had both in the last three weeks and in the last three months. Before this study, many models about sexually transmitted diseases simply assumed that everyone over a certain age, say 40 to 65, stopped being sexually active or at least stopped having multiple sexual partners. The key findings of this study, reported in the journal PLOS One, showed that most people surveyed had either zero or one sexual partner at any age in the preceding three weeks. About 65% of heterosexual women reported having one partner in the last three weeks consistently until they reached the age of 50, after which there was a steep decline in reporting no sexual partners. 79% of women aged 70 and over who identified as being heterosexual or had had at least one male partner in the last three months had no male partners in the last three weeks. Of the heterosexual males surveyed, 50% reported having one partner in the past three weeks and they were increasingly likely to report no partners at all as they got older. 50% of men aged over 70 who were heterosexual or had sex with a female in the previous three months didn't have a female partner in the past three weeks. That compares to just 44% of men having heterosexual sex who had no recent female partners when aged under 70. Partner concurrency, which means more than one recent sexual partner, was uncommon in the general population. But it was common among social media samples. 42% of men having sex with other men recruited on Facebook and Instagram and 52% of Grindr respondents had at least two sexual male partners. Partner concurrency declined among older people, but again the least decline was among social media respondents. 77 men who had sex with other men aged 70 and over answered the survey. 17% of them reported having at least one recent partner in the past three weeks and 25% of gay men aged 70 and over recruited via social media had concurrent partners. By comparison, only 2% of straight men aged over 70 reported multiple partners. The overall finding of the study was that many gay and bisexual men aged over 70 continue to have a busy sex life with multiple partners. She's considered one of the greatest psychics in the world, and her predictions are closely followed by thousands of devotees. But the renowned Eastern European psychic Baba Venga hasn't been too accurate with her prognostications of late. In fact, none of her often chilling forecasts for 2023 have come true, at least not yet. Still, for many years, decades even, her many fans have relied on her every word, even though her forecasts seldom materialise. Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics says there's probably a really good reason for that. This is Baba Vanga, a mystic psychic blind woman from Eastern Europe, making predictions about what's going to happen in the coming year. And I this see. particular year, it's a nuclear disaster in Europe. There's toxic clouds over Asia. There's a powerful solar storm that's going to disrupt the climate. And there's a use of a deadly biological weapon causing widespread fatalities. There's a catch. Baba Vanga died 30 years ago. Oh. Now, she didn't write these things down. What's happened is that people are now using, making predictions using her name. Right. Um, and they have been doing it for years. Baba Vanga 
Bavanga predicts from beyond the grave. And I appeared with Becky talking about Bavanga from beyond the grave. She did make predictions in her life. They were pretty vague and most of them didn't come. Well, I think they all didn't come true. But that's, that's the nature of predictions from psychics and things. There's a wonderful story that was published recently in, in a, in a uh, I think it was an Indian publication, which spoke about all this wonderful prediction from Baba Vanga and never once mentioned that she was dead. So Baba Vanga is one of those many sort of psychics you hear about who makes a prediction and then no one bothers to follow them up, unless you're a skeptic, of course. And uh, we do. They keep track of these things and come back a year later and said, uh, this didn't happen. What's your excuse? Mumble, mumble, mumble. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, don't look here. Look over there. So we did a major project on Australian psychics making predictions. We looked at all the predictions we could find over a 20-year period in press, in print, in TV, radio, online, wherever. And we found over, was it over 3,500 or something like that predictions over 200, 300 odd self-professed psychics and their success rate was about 10%, which is as good as guesswork. Well, probably worse than guesswork, actually. But they ignore that. They say, you know, they ignore their uh, their failure rates and they just move on to the next theory and the next sucker. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. That's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimewithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 